0: Please stay at your Bibles tonight and be turning to 2 Kings chapter 6. Strange how, well it's not strange, but sometimes sermons just spin off of each other. In this morning's sermon, we mentioned the servant of Elisha with the spiritual eye problem, the uh, spiritual optometry, optometry problem, as it were, in 2 Kings chapter 6. and. As you recall, once again, as we discussed this morning, king of Syria was making war against the king of Israel. Every time the king of Syria would go somewhere and camp out, king of Israel knew where he was. Knew where he was because of Elisha, God's servant, who knew where the king of Syria was. So the king of Syria gets sick and tired of this and basically says, hey, who's giving away our location? <laughs> My terms not what the Bible says they in 2nd Kings 6 and uh, he finds out it's Elisha so he says okay we need to find out where Elisha is so he finds out where Elisha is in the, in the city of Dothan and I want to begin with a text that we talked about this morning but I want to go a little further because there's a point I want to make tonight from this text 2nd Kings six fourteen. therefore he that is the king of Syria sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes, that he may see. Elisha prays that his servant will get his eyes opened by God so that the servant can see what Elisha sees, why Elisha had all this peace and calm. He understood, he saw clearly. The servant did not. But it says, then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, we typically stop right about there. We missed something beautiful, read on. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people, I pray with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Elisha said to them, this is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man you seek. But he led them to Samaria. So here's all of the Syrian forces, they're blinded. Elisha guides them to Samaria. So it was, when they had come to Samaria, that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. Notice that's the second time this has happened. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and there they were inside of Samaria. They're they're inside of enemy territory, here they are. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? I mean, his enemies have been delivered right into his hands. And he said, should I kill them? Wow, you know, here they are, here's the enemy. Elisha answered and said you shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? Look what Elijah says About his enemies about those who were seeking his life Set food and water before them That they may eat and drink And go to their master Wow See the beauty we sometimes miss enemies that were seeking his life surrounded Dothan they were gonna take him he said, no, you feed them, you feed them good. And Matt, We know you feed them good because of the next verse, it says, then he prepared a great feast, not just a feast, but a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more in the land of Israel. There's several beautiful things to be learned from this account for our benefit. The first thing that I'd like for us to note on a simple level is is that this is not an account of just one but two instances of blindness, two. Both healed by the man of God at the proper time for the proper and God-ordained reason. I would also notice that throughout this entire ordeal, Elisha, because his eyes are open to God, because he sees clearly, we see him totally unruffled we see him at peace we see him just as calm as they come even in the midst of this being surrounded by the enemy as the account starts out the second thing that I'd like for us to see and really focus on with most of this lesson or at least a good portion of it is how this account right here encapsulates one of the Greatest problems of God's servants in every generation it encapsulates one of the biggest most widespread problems of God's servants in any and every generation including ours all contained right here in this one account and that is this the need to have our eyes opened so that we see things from a more godly and spiritual perspective than from our customary human physical perspective. That is a need of God's people in every generation. Brethren, we as human beings, you know, there are certain animals that are born blind. They can't see for a while when they're, when they're very tiny, okay? We are As humans born blind no less than the boy in John 9 not on a physical level when we are physically born but on a spiritual level when we are born again into Christ how many of you since you were born again into Christ your newborn baby in Christ have had your eyes open to some things right we all have right we're born into Christ pretty much blind to a lot of the things that we later see We're born blind on a spiritual level to a lot of different things. Have you ever stopped and thought about what Jesus said in light of what I just said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20? He said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, watch this, teaching them to observe. Observe. What do you do when you observe something? You see it, right? Teaching them to see. We're pretty much born blind when it comes to a lot of God's teaching. That's why after we become Christians, after we're baptized into Christ, we need to keep learning. That's why he said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe. Teaching them, getting them to see, getting them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Again, as we talked about this morning in a little different context. In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, where it says, teaching them to observe all things, the primary meaning of that original Greek word, observe, teaching them to observe, it means to keep or to guard. However, One of its secondary meanings is to intensely see something as it truly is. Intensely see it as it really is. We as disciples are to be taught after our baptism to see things. Now, and and guard them and keep them and and observe them in the sense of, of carrying out what he said, obviously. That is the primary meaning. Do you know how widespread, seems like this is the same approach I used this morning on a different subject? Do you know how widespread this idea of our blindness is in the scriptures? It's everywhere. I wanna first consider how biblically prominent and widespread this spiritual blindness problem is and always has been for the people of God. First off, as I said, we have it encapsulated here in 2 Kings chapter six. What about some other well-known Old Testament passages that show us that we just don't see things the way God does, that we're, that we're spiritually blind? Well, we're very familiar with the one in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses six and seven. You remember surely that the sons of Jesse would pass before Samuel the prophet, So it was when they came, he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. When when Samuel was getting ready to anoint the next king and the sons of Jesse walked before him, here's Eliab. And he's thinking, wow, this guy's gotta be, he's gotta be the one. But God said no, in the very next verse, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have refused him. Maybe we get the idea as we read that text that that when Samuel saw him, he thought, wow, you know, this guy is huge, what a king he'd make. I mean, that's the impression we get from God's answer when when God said, don't look at his appearance, don't look at how tall he is, because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. We are so often so blind To the truth and we need our eyes examined we need our eyes opened the title of tonight's sermon is opening our eyes another passage that we use all the time that is relevant to this idea that we're blind to the spiritual so often to what God is doing that we just don't see it We don't open our eyes of faith and see things as God does, as Isaiah 55, eight and nine, you know the text, for my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, etc." God's trying to get across the point that you don't see things the way I see them. That doesn't mean that we can't, because we have right here what we need to help our eyes to see, to see God's way. But it's something that we must train ourselves to do. The New Testament is absolutely chock full of, chock full of this essentiality of our needing to stop flying blind, as it were, and to open our eyes and to see things from God's perspective. It's full of it. It's not just a one, two, three, ten, twelve 10, 12 time thing. If we're gonna survive this life and go all the way home to heaven, we need to have our eyes open, agreed? Our spiritual eyes of faith? Absolutely, okay? I, I wanna just take you through a few instances out of just one book to show you how widespread this is because I'm getting to something later on that, where the application comes in, but we can think, well, you know, there's not that much. Oh, there's so much. Con- consider with me, from the Gospel according to Matthew. I-, I-, I don't have time to read them all. I certainly didn't sift through and find them all, But I want to take you through just a few. This idea is tied to so many texts in just Matthew alone. Starts right now with the Sermon on the Mount. Turn to Matthew 6. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, what we see is that how men see the performance of their benevolence efforts and how God sees them are two totally different things. Matthew 6, 1 through 6. The same is true with prayer. (coughs) Verses, excuse me, the same is true with prayer. Verses 7 through 13, we're not, we, we don't see prayer the way God sees it, generally speaking. The way men see their fasting is the way, compared to the way God sees it, two totally different things, verses 16 through 18. The same with the priorities that we spend our time and efforts pursuing, verses 19 through 34. We just don't see it the way God sees it. We're spiritually blind so often. And and Jesus is trying in the Sermon on the Mount to give us, you know those little charts at the optometrist's office? That's what Jesus is trying to give us is is a spiritual optometry test to, to see that we need to see things from his perspective, because ours is is not his, and and we need to do this. We're so blind in so many ways. And, And I'm just getting warmed up. Then Jesus, in Matthew chapter seven, gets into one of the worst cases of spiritual blindness on the planet. And notice the very specific eye or spiritual vision problems and applications he mentions in this text. He's talking straight on about the eyes. Matthew seven verses one through five very familiar text judge not that you be not judged for with what judgment you use for with what judgment you judge you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured back to you and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eyes and do not consider the plank In your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus starts it out. First recorded sermon that we ever have of his. Sermon on the Mount. Very early on in his ministry. One of the major things he focuses on, chapter six, is how men see prayer and fasting and all those things and how God sees it. And then he gets into chapter seven, what's he talking about again? Your eye problem, you got an eye problem. Of course, we in our generation would never have the problem they had, would we? We'd never have a second standard for somebody else other from ourselves, would we? We would never tend to focus on somebody else's mistakes and errors when we're doing the same exact thing and tell them how wrong they are and try to fix their problem when we're twice as bad at it, we'd never do that, would we? Verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. The men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Therefore, verse 20, by their fruits you will know them. Notice what he says in verse 15. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. What's he trying to get across? You need to see them for what they are. You're not seeing them. They're coming to you in sheep's clothing. They look like a sheep. They, they act like a sheep. They bleat like a sheep, but they ain't a sheep. And you need to learn to see through the disguise is is the point he's making. Once again, what is it? It's an eye problem. That's that's the issue. That's what's going on. Chapter 9. Just just look at these. One one gospel account. I've got to go through these. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. While the spiritually blind scribes saw nothing more than a blasphemer, the crowds saw the marvelous power to glorify God for. In that same chapter, chapter nine, verses nine through 13, while the spiritually blind Pharisees looked at those sinners that Jesus was eating with and they just saw, they saw dirty people, they saw sinful people that were below them, they saw the the dregs of society, they saw the the scum of the earth and thought, oh, why is your master eating with such people that aren't even worthy of our time that we can't even, that's what they saw. You know what Jesus saw? Jesus saw lost souls worth not only spending time for, but spilling blood for. He had a totally different perspective. But they were blind to this, and these were religious leaders. In Matthew chapter 11, and keep flipping through these, because some of these we're gonna, some of these are actually gonna stop and, and read a little bit more in depth. But in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 15, we have two huge spiritual vision problems. Number one. Matthew 11, 2 through 15, John the Baptist, life hasn't gone the way he thought it ought to. He's in jail. He's done nothing but preach truth, and here he is in jail. And so what does he say? He sends these two disciples, and they say in verse 2, verse 3, are you the coming one or do we look for another? See, he had lost sight of who Jesus was, his struggles, his troubles, his his being overwhelmed a little maybe with discouragement like, like Elijah was as we've talked about recently he's in this terrible predicament he's kind of lost sight he's the one who said behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world but now that life ain't going quite the way he thought it ought to he to, are you really him or should we should we look for someone else he needed to see that jesus was still the one you ever been in a bad way in your life you ever been in a struggle and and you just kind of wonder a little bit and satan makes you doubt a little bit and and you need to see jesus more clearly most of us have probably been there that's where john is and then in the second case of, of spiritual blindness that we have or at least really bad spiritual eyesight is jesus asked the people he said who did you go out there to see?" And dressed in fine clothes, they stay in the city. And, and what, did, what did you go out to see? And he asked him a couple times. He said, I'm going to tell you what you saw. Because you, you don't understand what you saw. You didn't see it the way God sees it. I, I'll tell you, you saw a prophet, and more than a prophet, nobody born of women greater than John the Baptist. That's, that's who you saw. You just didn't have the eyes to see that's who you saw. So he clarifies it for him. In Matthew chapter 16, Why so many, why so many illustrations, Doug? Couldn't you get by with three or four? Yeah, I could have gotten by with three or four, but we've got to understand, I hope the next time you open your Bible, wherever you read in the Gospels that you understand, that, or, or anywhere else in the Bible, this is a big problem. We just don't see things the way God, there's so much blindness. In, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Was he any one of those four groups? He was way beyond that. He's God in the flesh. But nobody saw him that way. He said, who, who are the crowds? You're here in the crowds. Who do they say I am? Elijah? Really? Just a human? Elijah? Jeremiah? One of the prophets? No. And and then he comes and he says, but who do you say that I am? Please tell me. It's almost like Jesus, please tell me that you can at least see me for who I am. Who do you say that I am? And and Peter speaks up, and Peter saw. Peter didn't see real clear, but Peter had a little bit more insight. It's like when the, the optometrists, they rearrange those. Which do you see better with now? Click, this one or this one, right? Peter's vision's a little clearer than theirs. Turn to Matthew 18 first five verses and the disciples had trouble they're trying to figure out who was the greatest in the kingdom they couldn't see who was the greatest the kingdom Jesus straightened them out didn't he he said took a little child and he says in verse 4 whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom matter of fact then he goes down and does some real I mean we can't miss the point some real clear teaching about the eye when he says in verse 9 Of Matthew 18 if your eye causes you to sin pluck it out and cast it from you it's better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast in hellfire if your eyes are causing you to sin and not see things God's way you'd be better off to start all over again you don't wanna you don't want to have this bad vision problem as it were cause you to go to hell just just look down through the rest of this chapter by itself in verses 12 through 14 The people didn't understand what a lost soul was worth. Jesus is trying to get them to see more clearly. This is what it's worth. In verses 15 through 17, the the people didn't see the spiritual, how they should handle conflict. We still struggle with this today, to go to our brother. In 21 through 25, uh, 21 through 35, the people did not understand, they did not see how important forgiveness was, that, that once you've been forgiven, you need to forgive. And we've talked about that in lessons. They didn't see. It. Do you begin to see <laughs> just how prominent and widespread, what a widescreen view this is in the New Testament? of a vision problem where we have to see things spiritually through the eyes of God in in Matthew chapter 20 verses 29 through 34 Jesus is on his way to the cross and there's two blind beggars there one of them's Bartimaeus we're told and a whole crowd tries to shut these guys up because you know what the crowd saw the crowd saw two worthless wastes of, of, of human airspace that were not worth Jesus time Shut up, sit down. He doesn't have time for you. That's what they saw. Isn't that what they saw? Yeah? What did Jesus see? I'll tell you what Jesus saw, and I've told you many times, this is one of the biggest deals to me in Scripture. I'll tell you what Jesus saw. Jesus is on the way to the cross. Jesus is heading up to Jerusalem for that final mission, that mission that's been in place since before the foundation of the world. And what Jesus saw was somebody worth stopping for. That's what Jesus saw. They saw worthlessness. Jesus saw somebody looking at that same person. He saw that person, those two men actually, through the eyes of God. He saw somebody worth stopping the whole procession of disciples for, the crowd, all of it. God help us to see through his eyes. And if you read Matthew 23, you will find it was simply spiritual blindness and nothing more or less that was going to keep those who failed to correct it out of heaven forever. How many times in Matthew 23 does Jesus say something like, you blind guides, blind fools, you just don't see? That's just a few examples of this vision problem from just one book, and I didn't through the whole Gospel of Matthew and take every single one out we could spend hours covering other New Testament books just as just as showing just how much this is a problem how we need to learn to focus everything we have on learning to see things from God's perspective if I were to ask you here's one for you if I were to ask you why Jesus came simple question right most of us would say to die for our sins, and that's true, he did. Most of us would say to seek and save the lost, that's absolutely true. But do you know that Jesus himself in one instance told us that the reason that he came was to help us to see better, to clear up our vision? Look at me in Luke eight, uh, Luke 4, 18 and 19. Jesus himself confessed that he was here to help us see more clearly. Luke 4, verses 18 and 19. As he stood up to read in his hometown synagogue, he found the place where this was written, the Spirit of the Lord, Luke 4, 18. Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind who set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now, it's easy to look at and say, okay, well, he opened a few blind people's eyes, okay. But the context of this text is not all about the physical. Here we go again. If we look at this just from a physical perspective and we say, well, he did heal. He healed a boy born blind in John 9. He healed others that had a blindness. problem. If we're just looking at it for the physical healing he gave, we're missing the point of this text because listen, when he says preach the gospel to the poor, that's a spiritual thing. I'm just talking about people who don't have any money in their pockets, but the poor in spirit. It's a spiritual thing. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That's not a physical thing. It wasn't like somebody had a heart in their chest. It was in two pieces and he's gonna put it back together like he stuck Malchus's ear back on. It's more of a spiritual. He's gonna heal the brokenhearted. He's gonna proclaim liberty to the captives. Those who are captive to sin, primarily. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Did he die to make us free? Yes, physically or spiritually? Spiritually, the whole context of this verse is things that Jesus would do in a spiritual, more on a spiritual than physical level. So while he did give sight to the blind physically, did he help us to see God more clearly? And he said to Philip, Philip, have I been with you so long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He also confirmed this same spiritual optometry mission if you will in john 9 39 through 41 when he said for judgment i have come into this world that those who do not see may see confirmed it to help us see because we are so blind and as i think about the rest of that verse let me read the whole thing john 9 39 through 41 for judgment i have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you wouldn't have any sin, but now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. See, they weren't willing to admit their bad eyesight. They said, we see God, we see how it is, we understand, we got this. Jesus said, because you make that claim, that proves that you're blind, because you haven't got a clue. If you really could see spiritually, you would understand that you don't have it right. in that text i see god's people thoroughly convinced that they could clearly see but according to jesus perspective they could not i also see god's only begotten son who would give up the glories of heaven all to come and to open our eyes to god's perspective that's what he came to do and both of those things should impress upon us just how important it is to look at things through god's eyes God. Please open our eyes. And while this this spiritual vision test has to be a lifelong thing, and while that's true, I just wanted to point out the the vital importance and and show how this just absolutely flows through the scriptures, this need for us to see better. And so, the third point, the application stage that I wanna get to tonight is this. Do we see things clearly? For example let me give you four what do you see when you look at the world around you internationally what do you see whether we're talking about Isis and the Taliban in Afghanistan whether we're talking about human rights violations in China and other places or even while we're looking at the defiance of God as evidenced in some of our own country's laws and national leadership, what do we see? Think about it. What do we see? Do we see cause for alarm? Do we see cause for concern? Do we see cause to doubt God? Because I'm gonna tell you what we ought to see. I'm gonna show you from God's word what we need to see because if we see any of those three things, we need a biblical vision correction. And I'm gonna, let's turn to the, the spiritual eye chart <laughs> known as Psalm 2. We got a lot of spiritual eye charts in here. Turn to Psalm 2. I'll tell you what we ought to see. When we think of those very things, what ought we to see? Here it is, clear our vision. Psalm two, one through six. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. A lot of people in America saying that today. He who sits in the heavens, God is he concerned is he afraid is he worried no he's too busy laughing he who sits in the heavens shall laugh the Lord shall hold them in derision then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Verses 10 and 12. Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed you judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him as we look at world events rather than be consumed with worry, concern, and fear. You know what we need to do? We need to put this set of glasses on right here and understand god's still in control they're not going to unseat him as king they're not going to kick him off his throne they're not going to overrule him and they're not going to go before some judge in some court somewhere and convict god of sin god says i got and they need to, as it says in verse 12 kiss the son lest he be angry when his wrath is kindled but a little do you understand how little god's got to be angry in order to deal with this and just just take care of the whole thing how small a wrath of god has to he just when his wrath is kindled just a little so when we look at these things if we've got on our spiritual glasses what we need to see walking by faith is that god is simply very mercifully On a level we can't understand mercy, God is simply allowing them time to turn. He's allowing them time to learn to kiss the Son. In other words, he's allowing them time to find Jesus. His mercy is over. And that's what we ought to see. Could God stop the hostilities like that? Could he? Why doesn't he? the Lord is merciful and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and that's what we need to see and seeing that our ongoing mission should be more clear than ever before us as well as we see in verse 12 the last line blessed are all those who put their trust in him in spite of all of those things going on rather than, than see them through the eyes of care and concern I need to just trust God do what God told me to do will I be okay if I do that God says, "Will, blessed, happy, that's what the word means, are those who trust in him. Number two, speaking of seeing things through the eyes of God, very briefly mention this one because we're covering it so thoroughly in the book of James. We have a skewed view of our trials sometimes. People will ask, well, what did I do wrong that I'm in this situation? Or is God punishing me? Or some of those sorts of things. And what we need to understand, we do from the book of James, is that our trials, we need to rejoice. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And we need to let perseverance have its perfect work. In that class, we talked about how we are refined as through fire, like silver. Peter talked about the refining of gold. God, with our trials, is refining us for heaven, getting out the impurities of pride and self-reliance. We need to see our trials that way, and we've talked about that at length, so I won't spend a lot of time with that. Number three, there's another issue. That we talk about a lot and that is the lost and we've talked in here about how we see the lost we just talked about how Jesus saw those two blind beggars Bartimaeus and and the other one with him but I want to spend a minute with this one and go in a little bit different direction there was a point brought up in Wednesday nights adult Bible class and the point was brought up what do you do with that person on the street who's asking for money, sitting on the corner? Because you never know whether or not the need—it started out as a conversation about you don't know if it's legitimate or not—and and we talked about that and, and battered it, batted it around a little. But the point came out later. I think it was Kirk that made the point that their physical need is not the primary one; that they're most in need of something. They're—they're they're, while some of them may have and do have probably very legitimate physical needs, the point is, they need Jesus more than anything, right? More than anything else on earth, they need Jesus. And I got to thinking about that, and I thought, okay. So what about this? If their biggest need is Jesus, and it is, besides their physical needs, why don't we, as a people, go out here on this track track, and pick out something generic not something about women's roles in the church or eldership or those things but something like could God really save even me something a little more fitting and take five or ten of those tracks if we are somebody who gives gives money to folks when they need it and we see them on the street and we we even think we might do that why not take some of those tracks like that put on the back of it Shutter Hills Church Christ, just so they have a point of contact. And I realize they don't all have nice cars and smartphones and laptops. And I, I understand that. But you know, a lot of those people do have cell phones. Or at least access to somebody does. So why don't we feed their bellies, yes? Why don't we feed the bigger need? I'm telling you what, we got drawers full of tracks. <laughs> don't we? We got drawers full of tracks. And, and, and you say, well, that, what good's that gonna do? They're, they're gonna have that thrown into the garbage before I leave the red light. Well, maybe they are. Wonder how many of them have sat around here for years amounting to about the same thing as being at the bottom of a garbage can because nobody's used them. Would it help them to see Jesus? And, and I got to thinking about this and the text I wanted to turn you to is, is Acts chapter three. Yes, I have an actual support text Acts chapter 3, I'm going to read fast because it's 10 verses. Acts chapter 3, here we go, speed read, verses 1 through 10. Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. He's a beggar. They set him there so that he could beg who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms he was looking for money and fixing his eyes on him verse 4 with John Peter said look at us so the man gave them his attention expecting to receive something from them then Peter said silver and gold I do not have but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk and he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength So he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, praising God, and all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he who used to set begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I understand we can't can't do miracles and heal people. I get that. But can we make a difference in somebody's life by telling them about Jesus? Can we do that? and if that one person says, i, I got to check into this more, they're, they're so down and they're so desperate and they're looking for, yes, money to fill their bellies, but they're looking for Jesus. If we could somehow connect them to Jesus and they, in turn, listen, who would be better to reach some of the homeless population in Tulsa than the homeless population in Tulsa? Does that make sense? What if one or two of those people actually sought out and obeyed the gospel could they make a difference within that community sure that's why we train missionaries in foreign countries that are native to the land to go to their own native people and because they have more impact they know what's going on in that circle we can do that Yes, we can take care of their physical need. I'm not saying don't take care of their physical need, but if we're going to give them five bucks or we're going to go into the McDonald's on the corner and buy them a a Big Mac and a whatever it is that we're going to buy them and bring it out and feed it to them, can we put a tract in the bag? Can't if we don't take some with us. We need to see them through the eyes of God and that their biggest need is Jesus. Finally and fourthly, what about our relational vision? Do we typically see our relationships the way God does? For example, what do we typically see when somebody chooses to criticize us, reject us, ridicule us, falsely accuse us? As, as human beings, you know what we see, right? We typically see somebody to strike back at. That's what we typically see. That's why the world's in the mess it's in, in a lot of ways. But Jesus Christ came to this earth to help us to see those people that berate us or or whatever or hostile toward us in whatever whatever measure that takes whatever medium that takes Jesus came to help us to see those people differently he came to clear up our vision he came to show us that number one to see that whole situation not as a cause for resentment but as a cause for rejoicing did you know that do we do that Or do we just get angry when somebody has something to say about us that isn't true, or or they bait us, or they reject us, or they revile us? What do we do? Do we see through the world's eyes as some reason to resent that person? Because that ain't the way Jesus sees it. The way Jesus sees it is a cause for rejoicing, Luke chapter six, verses 22 and 23. Secondly, do we see that person as a foe or an enemy to be vanquished and overcome? or as a soul or a brother to be loved, blessed, served, and prayed for, because that's how Jesus came to teach us to see that person. Matthew 5, 43 through 48 and 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3.15. As an outgrowth of both of those things. You know what we should see it when somebody verbally comes after us for whatever reason, especially our Christian, you know what we ought to see that as? we need to see it every time as an opportunity you know what's an opportunity to do it's an opportunity to become more like jesus y'all want to become more like jesus you want to love like jesus you want to forgive like jesus hey jesus did not have to forgive those that were not hostile toward him is that right nothing to forgive them of the only way jesus could forgive the way jesus forgave was when somebody was hostile toward him that's it so we should see any hostility toward us as Christians, as an opportunity to forgive like Jesus forgave. Who did Jesus love? Did Jesus love everybody, even those that had a problem with him? Did he? So, so when somebody has a problem with us, how should we see that situation? Well, Jesus taught us. This is how you see it. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This is an opportunity for me to become less like the world and more like Jesus it's an opportunity could it change relationships in the church in the church with the world and in everything that we as Christians are involved with if we saw that situation when somebody's hostile toward us says bad things about us lies whatever if we saw that as an opportunity to grow and become more like Jesus and love more like he did and forgive more like he did could we change some things believe we could we need to see through the eyes of God, what exactly can such godly and Christ-like love and forgiveness eventually accomplish? If we, if we see that as an opportunity to love and forgive, to learn to love like Jesus loved even those that didn't love him, if we, if we see those things as an opportunity to forgive even those people that have had a problem with us, if we see those as opportunities, what, what can that accomplish? What on earth could that accomplish? I'm going to tell you what it could accomplish. It's the reason I read at the very beginning of this sermon more of 2 Kings 5 than we typically do. Remember what happened when the enemy was taken before the king? They'd been blinded. They were led into Samaria. The man of God brought them in. The king says, you want me to kill them? Elisha said, no. I don't want you to kill your enemy. I want you to feed your enemy. I want you to feed your enemy. Put your swords away and get out your spoons and your pots. I want you to feed your enemy. And once you fed your enemy, I want you to send your enemy home with their bellies full. That's what I want you to do. And do you remember what happened? Remember what it said at the very end of what I read early on? It said, and the king of Syria no longer raided. Remember those raids where that little girl was taken we talked about last week where the the Syrians would raid over the border when they were fighting Egypt and they'd take captives and slaves? We talked about that just last, those stopped. Why'd they stop? They stopped because the man of God said, hey, we gotta see these enemies as somebody to be fed. We have got to show them the love of God and if we show them the love of God, the hostility will stop. We gotta see this the way God sees it. We're told in Romans chapter 12 the same thing. Verses 17 through 21. I won't take your time to read it, but please read it. We're told to feed our enemies. We're told to do good to them. Brethren, as we close tonight, from tonight forward, we need to never fail to remember that we must continually examine our spiritual vision praying that god will open our eyes letting god open our eyes to see things the way he does every day that we live because that is the only way that we will see our way clear all the way up the straight and narrow home (coughs) we've got to be able to see listen if we're going to follow did jesus say follow me yes if we're going to follow jesus we got to see where he's going right we got to see jesus right yeah We can't do this blindfolded. We can't do this looking at things through a human perspective. So brethren, whether it's what's going on in the international news around us, whether it's the trials we're facing, whether it's the lost people around us, or whether it's somebody who has had a problem with us, whatever it is, we need to understand that every single soul on this planet, by itself, is priceless. Jesus died for us all, and no matter what we see in the world around us, if we're looking at it through the eyes of God, God's still in control. Change your life. Let us make sure that we open our eyes so that we don't lose sight of what's important, we don't lose sight of what's really going on. When we see the hills around us encamped upon by the enemy and we feel so outnumbered and rejected, let us be like Elisha and truly open our eyes and understand that he who is within us is greater than he who is in the world. Let us see things through God's eyes. Tonight, if you're here, you've never obeyed the gospel. You know, some people in the world say, well, baptism doesn't do anything. Baptism is this. Bapti-. Hey, God said it's essential. Baptism now saves you, First Peter 3.21. now. If we're gonna see it through the eyes of God, we gotta understand that it's essential, we gotta understand it's where our sins are forgiven, we gotta understand that it's not a a work, but it is an act of faith in God who raised him from the dead, Colossians chapter two. If you've never done that, you need to, or if you need the prayers for the church to open your eyes. If you need the prayers of the church, because maybe you haven't been seeing things the way you ought to, maybe you've responded in a situation in a way you shouldn't, and whatever the case may be, If you need your eyes open tonight or you need to become one of God's children, please come right now as we stand and sing.